Hi, listeners, and welcome back to the ATD NYC Unlocked podcast, powered by the ATD New York City chapter. I'm Samantha Peller, and along with my co-host, Marina Field, we're delighted to introduce our distinguished guest for today, Renika Weston, a beacon of wisdom in the world of executive coaching and leadership development, who owns her own coaching practice, Your Next Thought. With over 25 years of experience in commercial learning and talent management under her belt, Renika embodies leadership excellence, having walked the walk in a wide range of various diverse leadership roles, including positions such as operations manager and VP of talent management. Her impact as a coach and facilitator extends across industries. She's collaborated with renowned companies like Choice Hotels, Yahoo, and even the U.S. Army. She's passionate about applying her many skills to empowering teams and individuals, with a focus on helping develop underserved professionals in the workplace. Today, Renika will be sharing with us her insights on leadership development, offering a glimpse into this area of her expertise. But first, we've got Marina with today's trivia question. Handing it over to you, Marina. Thanks, Samantha. So today's trivia question has to do with coaching. The International Coaching Federation, or ICF, is a professional organization for coaches. It also provides accreditation and credentialing for coaches. In the 2023 ICF Global Coaching Study, what do they estimate the number of coach practitioners to be? Stay tuned till the end of the episode to find the answer. Passing it back to you, Samantha. Okay. Thank you so much, Renika, for being here. We're so glad to have you with us on our podcast today. And to get things started, we were hoping you would share a little bit about your career journey and what led you to start your leadership development and coaching business. Wow. So I will take you back on a journey. Many, many years ago, my career started really in the sales and marketing arena. I worked for large pharma companies as well as some mid-sized biotech companies. And at the time, I always considered myself to be a coach, right? I always thought that I was mentoring others and coaching individuals. And I moved from sales to marketing, sales training. And it was one interaction. I remember it was a summer day. And I met this woman, her name was Mary Jo, and that's when my coaching journey started. And I like to go fast forward to that because you shared my bio, I've worked in many roles throughout corporate America, but I really believe when I think about my life and the chapters, because I always think of what I do is chapters. When I think about that chapter of my life, I would say that's when my career began for me. Before then I was working, but this is when my career began. And so in 15 minutes, this woman changed my life. We had a conversation. It was specifically around budget and it was around global experience. And it was a total transformation. And in that moment, I said to her, I want to do exactly what you were doing. How did you do that? It's almost like she was a magician. And she said, I'm a coach. And for the next probably two, three weeks, maybe longer than that, I researched every coaching program that was out there and landed on. Georgetown's program, which is located in the D.C. metro area, and continued to work. I had clients off the desk. I had clients when I finished work in the morning, in the evening. And 
one day I just decided that the work that I was doing at the time, I was VP of talent management at a mid-sized biotech. I just decided it wasn't a good fit anymore. I decided that that was my expiration date. And in that moment, decided that I wanted to do something different. And so that's really when my career began and started doing some work with a company called P-Link Leadership and also decided I wanted to start my own business as well. Thank you for, for sharing that. You don't often hear exactly the details when someone goes through a career transition. So that was a huge transition that you made. But one of the things I wanted to talk about now or, or to get some insight from you is as a coach, I know that inclusive leadership is really important to you. And I'm curious to know, how do you define that concept and how do you incorporate that into your business? Yeah. So I always say to people, when we don't include, we exclude. As simple as that sounds, it really is just that. And so I think I shared with you that early in my career, I was a sales leader. And as a sales leader, you really have to figure out how do I make sure that everyone that's a part of this group is heard, seen, and that their issues are really felt by me as much as I can feel into someone's emotions and feel what's going on with them. So for me, I can't imagine working without being an inclusive leader. Being an inclusive leader means that I understand what your values are. I understand what's important to you, what motivates you. I try to figure out what is the why behind what I do. For me as an inclusive leader, what it also means is that I understand that for every difference, there is a uniqueness in an individual. And so we want to talk about diversity being all the differences, but I like to say that those are all the things similar to your fingerprint that really make you unique. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about growth mindset. There are books out there. And, you know, I'm just a curious person. My grandmother told me one time, what you don't know will make a whole new world. And so when I think about being an inclusive leader, I also think about what is it that I don't know? What is it about an individual? What is it about their culture? What is it about their background that I do not know? Because once I get to know someone, there's trust that's built. And so I also think those two go hand in hand. Being an inclusive leader also means that you are working to build trust with other individuals. Oh my gosh, you're already throwing out so many good pearls of wisdom. I'm going to have to listen back now and just have all these takeaways to store with me. I'm hoping, though, that you'll share more about defining DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion overall, and why it's so important, especially with this concept that you're referring to of inclusive leadership. Yeah. So I'm glad that you said diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? We have so many acronyms. The other day, my son texted me an acronym. I didn't even know what it was, right? And so, you know, when you think about it, language matters. And so the more that we can use the word diversity, right? I just talked about diversity being the uniqueness in each of us. So everyone is diverse. When I think about equity, I think about what is equitable, if, in fact, we're thinking about diversity, meaning that I don't have maybe the education, the training that someone else has, but you want to make sure things are equitable, I have to take into account an individual's diversity because diversity leads us into a space of trying to determine what is equitable. And then inclusion to me, I often think about the two almost not opposite ends of the spectrum, but diversity is one of those things that most organizations can measure. They can ask the questions to get to the metrics. And those are the things that they report out. 
But when I think about inclusion, I almost think about it like a pain scale for your, those of you who have been to the physician. And they say on a scale of one to 10, you know, measure your pain. Well, I may list that as a seven, but what does a seven really mean to me from a pain perspective? So what does inclusion really mean to me? Right. So there's less metrics around inclusion and there's more around really getting under the surface to find out how do people show up? What does it mean to truly feel included? I could go on with stories around how you measure that and how it actually shows up, because I think it's a pretty simple thing. It's one of those things. If you're a leader, how often do people speak up? How often do people tell you the thing that they probably don't feel courageous enough to tell, but you can feel that there's courage that steps in when they say those things. Inclusion often means that we're doing things that I as a leader might not think about doing. So years ago, I remember we'd always go to these golf outings. How included did that make me feel? Yes, I played golf, but I also thought, can we get a good spa day? So I as a leader might be thinking about what are some of the other things that my team likes? so that I can ensure that each and every one of them feels included. So you just talked about, like, to broadly define these concepts. You know, you talked about diversity being something an organization can really measure, or it's easier for an organization to measure, whereas inclusion might be more ambiguous because it is a feeling. And then equity kind of, I guess, falls in between those two. But how do you go about incorporating these concepts into the services you offer, especially when it comes to inclusion, where, as you said, it's about a feeling. Yeah. So you're saying, how do I ensure that that happens? Yes. Yeah. So for me, one of the things, I guess a couple of things, I often facilitate sessions. And and one of the most important things for me is to make sure that the container that I create is a safe space as well as a brave space. And so individuals that feel included feel both of those. Because if I feel that I'm included, I feel like it's safe enough that I can share what it is I need to share. I can be my authentic self. But if it's a place where I feel included, think about the spaces that you were in where you feel most included. The places where you can say a thing to a friend or you can show up in a place of vulnerability and still feel like it's okay. You're included in the conversation. You're included in that circle. So that's one of the things that I I really am intentional about when I facilitate. And then from a coaching perspective, it is me consistently being curious with my clients to find out how can I more closely align with them? How can I ensure that they feel seen and they feel heard? Because that, again, is one of the things that's important when I think about inclusion. And then from a client perspective, just sharing that with them, actually asking them questions actually looking at some of the different surveys, you know, most organizations have those different engagement surveys, but looking at the questions in your engagement surveys oftentimes will tell you, it's a sure telltale how much people feel this sense of inclusion. You've talked about a safe space leads to a brave space. What benefits have you seen from being able to create these types of spaces? Or if you have a specific example of when you've been able to do that and there's been some type of positive impact, do you mind sharing? Yeah, so I would say the biggest thing is I always think about the impact on the business, the speed in which we can get things done. And the perfect example for me is I talk a lot about values. 
So I think I shared with you that I do some work with an organization called P-Link Leadership, and they're heavily values-based. And so once you have an understanding of others' values, it gives you an opportunity then to build the space for you to have more inclusion. So I'll give you an example. Samantha, one of her top values is prudence. So she is checking everything to make sure that it is right. One of my top values is creativity. And you as the leader, you may have a different set of values. One of your values, let's just say, is spirituality. That might be your top value. And so as we are working together, one of the ways that you might want to bring me in from an inclusion perspective is to say, wow, I got this project that I'm working on. Rink has always got these creative ideas that are sometimes out there in left field. I should bring her into this project. But before I bring her in, I want her to understand why I'm bringing her into this project. Because I see her, I know that that's one of her top values, and this is something that we need on this project. And then the same may go with Samantha. We're working on something, and we really need to make sure that everything is right and exact. We've got to have the person on this project who's asking the questions, who's checking everything. So the check, check, double check. So same sort of conversation with Samantha. And then if we come together, because when you think about opposite ends of the spectrum, creativity, and when you think about prudence, they may not totally align together. So that might even be a conversation to say, I've got the two of you working on this project together. Know that you have different values, but we all are going towards the same goal. Samantha, why don't you take this piece? Renika, why don't you take this piece? I'll make sure that I check in to make sure that we are moving the project forward. So I'm including both of you together. I'm also finding places where there can be inclusion in separate opportunities for you. I love this idea because values really drive behavior. So the idea of leveraging people's values as part of, you know, DEI, I just that I think I love that idea. And of course, always keeping in mind that it goes back to the organization. We're not just doing these projects and taking into account people's values in a vacuum. It's always what is the mission that we're driving these values and skills toward. I was going to say, I would also add to that emotional intelligence. I'm always struck by people who talk about they have high EQ, but yet they struggle with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because to me, those two very much relate together. Oftentimes we think of sort of EQ as a separate thing and diversity, equity, inclusion here at the other spectrum. But if we can think about those two and how they intertwine together and what that looks like for leaders, I think, again, when I talked about the speed of delivery and our ability to get things done in a more efficient and effective way, I think that 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 really helps to show up. That's a concept that I haven't heard before. Can you say more about that link between, or is EQ driving it? Is Are they working together? Say, say a little bit more about this. Yeah, so when you think about EQ, you think about self-awareness. So self-awareness is the ability to say, as my grandmother said, there's a whole world out there that you know nothing about. And so to be curious and stand in that self-awareness and know that and also understand where are some of the places that you may show up and feel a little bit more vulnerable. That's a self-awareness piece. I also think about when you think about emotional intelligence, I think about empathy. And so empathy is not the feeling of, oh, I feel sorry for you or having this sort of sympathy, but it's being able to say, I understand how that might be hard. And so I have led sessions before where they get a little bit heated um, in some of these diversity, equity, and inclusion sessions. 
and just acknowledging someone else's experiences and being able to say, I understand that might be hard for you. Again, that is all a part of emotional intelligence. The other piece is motivation. So when we talked about the values, I think about emotional intelligence and people thinking about their motivators and what motivates them. And to me, under everything that goes with diversity, equity, inclusion, you can find some sort of motivator, whether it be a personal motivator or someone very close to you, friend or family member, there's got to be a motivator. And then self-regulation is a part of emotional intelligence. So if I feel myself being agitated maybe by something, then I have to be able to check myself with some self-regulation to understand the root cause of that. Why am I so upset when I hear a word like privilege? What, what about that makes me so antsy and I don't necessarily like that word? And then the other piece is just, you know, the social skills, the ability to be able to connect with others that don't look like me, don't have the same background as me. Our identity markers might be very different. So again, when I think broadly around emotional intelligence, I just think that a lot of those concepts really connect very nicely with the whole concept of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I think everything you just said ties really well into our next question, which is, I was actually in a meeting earlier today where this came up, is that this incorporation, implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives into organizations is a work in progress, right? And a journey, even though we are in 2023, we have come a long way, but we probably still have a long way to go. What would you say then are some of the common challenges that you see with leaders and organizations who are trying to become more inclusive, incorporating DEI, and how have you helped organizations and leaders overcome some of these challenges? The first thing is I often ask people, well, I'll I'll back up for a moment. So there is something from the Center of Global Inclusion. There's actually five approaches that they talk about for DEI. And one of those approaches is being in compliance with the focus on adherence to rules. The other is developing the organization, focusing on like the organizational performance, right? Tying everything back to performance with DEI. With some organizations, it's around building competence. They really want to increase the DEI competence of other individuals. So like you have leadership competencies. Some companies are around, they they do a lot more in the DEI space, and maybe it's focusing on recognition of values and interdependence of human beings. So I talk about that from a dignity standpoint. And then the other might be advocating for social justice. I don't see as much of that in the corporate space as I do more in the nonprofit space where you see some of that. So the first thing I do is ask companies to get really clear on why you are doing what you are doing. Is it from a compliance standpoint? Because if it is, it's okay. Then that leads the direction of the training. It also leads the direction of maybe even the language we use. Because if I'm working with an organization that's advocating for social justice, there are terms and definitions of things that they are probably more comfortable with than other folks that are just doing this from a compliance standpoint. The next thing is vision. We talk about vision. A vision is almost like, I almost consider it like a declaration, something that we want to be true We know it's possible, but we don't really know how it's possible. But we know if some things change, some things shifted, that there's a possibility out there. So I say to organization, what's your vision for DEI, for diversity, equity, inclusion? What does this sound like? 
So if they don't have that, I tell them to think about that. And then it's what is the strategy that will get us there? Because what happens is a lot of organizations will start with initiatives and initiatives have a start and stop. If I told you that I was having this new initiative where I was going to, let's use my home. I had this new initiative. I'm going to use less water. Three years later, you're saying to me, well, Renika, your water bill hasn't gone down and you said you're going to use less water. That initiative, you probably would say that has failed. And so most organizations start this as an initiative without sort of a start, stop, check-in timeframe. And so there can be fatigue around DEI because employees just feel like this is one initiative after another. And for what? And so again, getting really clear on why you were doing this, what approach you were taking, really getting clear on what that vision is for those who are in the organization And then really being clear with language. If this is an initiative, it's an initiative that ties into a strategy that ties into our vision. And that's funny because I did say DEI initiatives, right? But I like this idea that eventually this is just the way that we operate, that this concept is just woven into the fabric of how we behave in the organization. And it's not just an initiative anymore, but it's actually the culture. I'll share a quick story that um, always plays in my head around that. So years ago, I worked for a pretty small biotech company, and I had come from a really large company where compliance was important. We had actually had our hand slapped by the FDA for, for some things. And so working in learning and development meant that everything had to go through compliance. And so I went to a mid-sized pharma organization. We didn't have a compliance department. And it was like I was lost. I was like, well, where's compliance? They need to check, check, double check everything that I'm doing. So after about a year or two, I had gone to some compliance courses because that's me. That's the whole new world that I don't know out there that I want to learn about. So we got a compliance officer and I said to him, I said, I'd like for you to come and check the materials. We're about to have a large meeting. And he said, why do I need to check the materials? And I said, well, because I want to make sure everything's compliant. And he said, compliance should be in everything that you do. It should not be a one-off training. It should not be here. Check this small piece to make sure this is compliant. Compliance should be the golden thread that is woven into everything that you do. And so when I think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, ethics is not this one-off thing. Ethics is not an initiative that organizations take. It's just sort of the way that they have to show up. It's the water that people are swimming in. So like a fish swims in water and doesn't even realize it's there. One day, aspirationally, I believe when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's what it will be. And I guess Samantha said earlier, you're just dropping gems. (laughs) You know, this really valuable information that I hope our listeners are just taking in. But you just shared a story with us. And my next question is, do you have a success story or an example based off of your work with leaders and DEI or DEIB where, you know, there's been some change and maybe it's been more integrated into the culture or some other type of benefit? So I have some, I have an individual story, but I'll first start with an organization. So there was an organization that I worked with that had done all the foundational work. And to me, The foundational work is the language that we choose to use. So, for example, I've worked with organizations that don't want to use the word systemic racism, but they want to use the word structural racism. 
And so you need to make that clear delineation of the language that you are going to use, even from a facilitation standpoint of what do we say? What is it that will draw people in versus drawing people away from the conversation? You've got to know that's those five approaches. Like, where are you? If you're just doing compliance, we're not going to be talking about structural racism. We're just not. But if you are around social justice or you want to build confidence, you might have those kind of conversations and use that language. So in this organization, they have very much laid the foundation. They had done all of the basic training for people to understand. And I always say to people, LinkedIn, not to promote LinkedIn, but LinkedIn learning has, you want to know it, it's out there on LinkedIn learning. There's other platforms like that where you could actually send people out to learn all of the basics. But what this organization did is they at something that was around conversations around race. And initially, the organization was just doing this in the U.S. And what they found based upon the training is that individuals in the U.S. were beginning to show up more comfortable and confident around having conversations around race. But some of their international colleagues were not. And so the first session we had, I had someone say, well, you know, we really don't deal with racism like you all do in the United States. That's that's a, you know, stateside thing. And I said, what about coverism? Got their attention immediately. And so here was an organization that thought that they just needed to do this for their U.S.-based employees. But once they started to invite international employees, then Not only did it help those individuals, but it also gave those individuals in the United States a different glimpse of how deeply rooted really racism is. And that, yes, it may be, as some people would say, a U.S. construct, but it exists around the globe. It just looks and feels differently in other sectors. So I would say that that was really successful because, for one, that organization did a lot. They had a claim this is a journey. They, They have a a vision for it. The CEO is behind it. It is tied directly to the business. It's tied directly to the demographics and the changing of the demographics. And it is also meeting people where they are, understanding that some people are further along the journey than others, but understanding that everybody must get there, not just the U.S.-based, but globally, all employees must get there. I'm impressed that this organization was even having conversations about race because that is not something that a lot of organizations are willing to dip their, even dip their toe in and and have those conversations because they can be so challenging. So kudos to to them that they even expanded it and recognized that need to bring in international audiences or their international workforce as part of these conversations as well. You know, one of the first things I said to them is that when you get really good around being comfortable, being uncomfortable, which we all talk about, because everyone's uncomfortable with something. You know, as a as a Black female, some would say, well, that's easy for you to have conversations around race. Yeah, it might be, but it may not be easy for me to have conversations around sexual orientation. It might not be easy for me to have conversations around differing ability. It may not be easy for me to have conversations around neurodiversity. But if people can get comfortable with the thing, because something's different for everyone, but race is the one thing that for many folks, especially here in the U.S., that we are most uncomfortable with. When you as a leader get comfortable with that, what if I have to have a conversation with someone around their hygiene? That's a pretty difficult conversation. If I can have a conversation around race, 
the curiosity, the vulnerability, all those things that go into those conversations, surely I can have a conversation with something like hygiene, which most people don't even think about unless you're faced with it. And there's no training book out there to have that kind of conversation with your employees. Renika, this is just so impactful. I'm just drinking all of this in. It's like, Yes, I just want to hear it all. And I can just imagine too how transformative that experience must have been, not just for people as employees, but hopefully also personally as well to be able to have those type of conversations in the workplace and maybe even bring those conversations over into the rest of their life as well. So another question um, regarding, we have listeners who may be interested in Becoming coaches, whether on the newer side or people that have a career started already, what are advice that you can give our audience and these listeners? Yeah, so a couple of things I would say, do the work. I have so many people that say to me, oh, you're a coach? Are you on Instagram? Like, why do you ask that, right? And I'm like, let's delineate between the different types of coaches, right? And there's no to anybody that's on Instagram that is a coach. I came from the corporate space, so that's the space that I feel most comfortable in. So I think the first thing is to figure out your lane, figure out who are the people that you think that you would best serve. And for me, although I left corporate America, I feel like I would be best served going back in because I know that journey to help and support those individuals. So the first thing I would say is do the work on yourself to figure out Where are your blind spots? What are the things that you need? And once you go through whatever training that may be, whether it's online, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's through a university, whatever sort of coach training you go through, when you're in it, be totally in it. Not in it thinking about how can I be a better coach, but thinking about how can I be a better person so that I can show up and serve individuals in my best self or with my best self possible. So I think that's the first thing is like, you got to do the work and you have to understand that if you want this as a profession, because many people coach in many different ways. Some people are retired and they coach. Some people decide that's it. I'm taking a break from my nine to five and I want to coach. But whatever the case is, I would say that this is a journey. There's no blueprint or roadmap to say how to be the best coach possible. There are hundreds of books out there to help you learn the profession. And I would say network with coaches. LinkedIn's a great place to meet people, connect with people, learn their journey, understand how they got to the place that they are. Facilitation is a really good place to coach as well. So I use a lot of my coaching skills when I am facilitating as well. So I think the two of those oftentimes go hand in hand. But I would say do the work. Okay, so we're going to start to wrap things up here. This has been Just such a great conversation. Like I said, I've just been soaking it all up. Hopefully listeners have been as well. I'm sure you had mentioned before one of the things you said to people who are looking to go into being a coach is do the work. Do you have any other tips, tricks, or hacks that you want to share with our listeners today? That was a really great one. What else you got? Oh, for those that are interested The first thing you got to do is have a curious mindset. And that was one of the most difficult things for me. 
and I identified it through an identity marker. So as a kid growing up, my mother would always say, that's none of our business, none of our business. And so I, as I was a coach and I would ask people questions, I was leading them. You also have to understand that I had a background that is in sales. So it's like, I want to get this person to this destination. And I struggled for a very long time and I'm still working on it with the space of curiosity. And so I would say for those who want to move into this space, if you are not a curious individual, first start there. First work on your space of curiosity. Take out some words in your vocabulary that you may be using now. Why? That was one of the things that I had to literally take away from my vocabulary. The other thing is I had to put weight. I actually had to put that on my <laughs> on my board. Why am I talking? Because I've been paid to talk for so long and most of us have been, right? Our communication skills are kind of what makes us successful. Well, as a coach, it's not that you don't talk but you do more of what I call holding. You're holding that mirror up to the individual for them to do the self-reflection and not for you to do all the talking. So that's why I said do the work and do the work on yourself first. I would also say join organizations like ATD, join ICF, join all these organizations so that you can come into community because in this space, in the coaching space, even if you work with an organization it's going to be a very lonely job and it's important to be a part of a community so that you can learn and grow. Thank you. And now we've gotten to our final question. Where can listeners find you if they want to learn more or just stay in touch? Mm, well, it's I before E except after C. So it would be <laughs> Renika Weston. You could just, I think I'm the only one on LinkedIn. So you could go to LinkedIn and just type in Renika Weston. You can go to P-Link Leadership. You can also go to yournextthought.com. I'm one T, your next, N-E-X-T, and then H-O-U-G-H-T.com. Thank you so much, Renika. This has been a wonderful episode. I've learned so much and definitely I'm going to try to be even more curious and I'm going to try to do the work. What about you, Samantha? Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Like I said, I'm really tempted now to explore the idea of becoming a coach. I have always thought about it, but this has sparked my interest even more with this conversation. So thank you so much for everything that you've shared here today. Yeah, thank you all for having me. And we need more coaches. We do. All right. But before we leave today, we have our trivia question. So... The question we asked at the beginning was, the International Coaching Federation, or ICF, is a professional organization for coaches. It also provides accreditation and credentialing for coaches. In the 2023 ICF Global Coaching Study, what did they estimate the global number of coach practitioners to be? The answer is just over 100,000 which was over a 50% increase from the 2019 global estimate. So the coaching industry is growing, but as we just said, we still need more and there needs to be even more diversity in those numbers as well. So stay tuned until next time. Thanks for tuning in to the ATD NYC Unlocked podcast. We hope you found this episode engaging and informative 
and that you've gained new perspectives in the talent and development industry. If you like this episode and are interested in finding out more about the ATD NYC chapter, visit our website at atdnyc.org. That's atdnyc.org. And if you'd like to join the chapter, use the code ATDNYCTEN. That's ATDNYCTEN to get 10% off your new individual membership fee. Now stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, keep striving to unlock your potential in the field of talent and development.